Hello and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Pick Aside Podcast. My name is Joel Moran and I'm here with Andrew Velez, Joe Dells, and John Tortorelli. And this is now episode 310. In this episode, we're going to talk about the Eagles' offensive struggles, Jets' quarterback options if Zach doesn't pan out. And that's a big if because we know he can play. Huge if. Our mojo player props for week two, upsets of the week, react to the NBA's new rules on load management, and attempt to build the best Team USA roster. How you guys doing today? Riv is not joining us because he couldn't have somebody uh, babysit his son, so he's not going to be here with us today. But how you guys doing? I'm doing all right. Shout out to River Brown Sr. Shout out to River Brown Jr. Uh, a little sick. It's kind of the reason why we're also recording through StreamYard. But I can't complain uh, looking forward to to talking some football, but really looking forward to talking some basketball. It's been a minute since we sat down and talked some basketball. But Mr. Tortorelli, it, it is a pleasure to have you on. It has been a while since you and I have done a show together. How are you? I'm doing good, Drew. I'm doing good, dude. It's so great to see you. I feel like I I, I haven't seen like one of my 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 long distance friends, and I'm seeing him for the first time. And you know what I'm feeling, John? I'm feeling in the mood to to be nice today because I feel like there's allegations, and I'm That's and I'm funny. still fighting them. I'm still really? fighting those allegations. That's funny. That you're a bad guy. You want to know why that's funny? Because I joined this, and the first thing you say is, you know, John, the fact that you spent money on a shirt for a player who's going to play ten minutes per game this year is outlandish. Ain't shit funny, bro. That shirt is cool. It's I cool. I just wish. Listen, hey, you save face there. You save face there. But I do wish that Cam Thomas got some minutes. That's all that. That's really what oh. the deeper meaning to that statement was, bro. That's it. I wasn't What's targeting you. <sighs> well, he's Sorry, Johnny. How you doing, Dells? I'm good, man. I'm, I have some shoulder pain in my left shoulder. Um, but other than that, dude, I can't complain. Could you sound fucking older? Jesus Christ. I was I at the gym, bro. I got you shoulder gym. pain. I was doing I was doing some overhead presses and I don't know, something just felt a little <laughs> little wrong. It's been bothering me. I have to blend days. my food because I can't eat it. How, I how can't chew it properly. Drew, how much do you weigh? Two ten. Okay, I'm 225. Get your weight up, little boy. Come on. <laughs> Imagine that 15 pounds heavier than me when you're you're four inches taller than me. You got to get your weight up, sir. Dallas, you wear more Eagle shirts than you do Jet shirts. This isn't even Eagle shirt. Philadelphia football. It's a, it's a Chickies and Pete shirt from Atlantic City. But I guess that's my, that's my bad. Same thing, same thing. All right, let's get into the show. Jalen Hurts, the Philadelphia Eagles offense. Eagles beat the Vikings 34 to 28. And now this question was supposed to be by Jalen Hurts, but really I want to get your guys' gauge on what are you more concerned about with the Eagles, the offense or the defense? Without a doubt, for me it's the defense, uh, and specifically the secondary. Drew, I know you had a tweet about it earlier. Um, offensively, Jalen Hurts, like I'm sure Joel is going to run out some EPA versus zone and against pressure and all of this shit. Truthfully, I don't. I don't really care. What Jalen Hurts has shown me up until his point, this point in his career, is that whatever he struggles in, he's able to get better at, and not only better at, but he could be a lead at. Did he struggle against the Vikings yesterday, specifically against zone? Was he second guessing his reads? Absolutely. But I, the, the quarterback Jalen Hurts is the person he is from 
having to transfer all the way in college to being a second round pick. He's just always developed year after year after year. And I don't think anyone should be surprised that early in the season, there's some hiccups. I mean, I said in my predictions, I don't think this Eagles team is going to be the dominant force we saw last year. I don't think they're going to win 14, 15 games like some people projecting them. I had them regressing a bit. I had them at 12 and five. I still think they'll win the division and they'll still be one of the best teams in the NFC. But I think sometimes we just get captivated with what happened the prior year and we just assume the same thing is going to happen regardless of what happened in the offseason. You lose, you know, multiple players on defense. You lose both of your coordinators. I'm not shocked that there's some growing pains, especially for a team who played really none of their starters in the preseason. So offensively, I really feel fine about what this Eagles offense is going to look like because worst case scenario, say Jalen Hurts does come down from what his his bar was last year from an MVP type level. And let's just say he plays at a top 10 level. If Hurts is playing at a top 10 level with that offensive line, with that run game, they're still going to be one of the most efficient offenses in the NFL. Defensively, it is a bit worrisome that we like Mac Jones, but 350 yards to Mac Jones isn't ideal. Um, Kirk Cousins is a really good quarterback, but he was having his way with that Philly defense, really being able to do whatever he wanted last night. Now you have some injuries in the secondary. Of course, you lost a couple linebackers um, and Hargrave on your defensive line and free agency. So to me, the defense is the bigger worry. I still feel very confident about the Eagles offense. Joel and I share very similar opinion on this, so I don't know if one of you guys want to go, but I could just backpack off of exactly what he's saying. You said it perfectly. Mac Jones throws for over 300 yards when really their best offensive weapon that day was Hunter Henry and Kendrick Bourne. These are solid guys. These aren't any needle movers. You respect the Vikings offense. You understand that Justin Jefferson is one of the best, if not the best wide receiver in the National Football League. And I want to give credit where credit is due. Last time these two matched up, big play Slay had his way with Jettas. This time around, Jettas was unbelievable. And it wasn't like Slay was playing some sluggish coverage. No, he was on his hip. Jettas is just a different beast, and he was just coming down with contested catch after contested catch. He was on he was unbelievable yesterday. But even still, the Eagles were able to generate a ton of pressure on this Minnesota Vikings offensive line that was banged up, no left tackle, and I believe their center was also injured as well. Sweat had an unbelievable day, finished this, finished the game with nine pressures, a forced fumble, four quarterback hurries, three quarterback hits. He was unbelievable. This line really did a good job of getting pressure on Kirk Cousins, but Kirk Cousins stood 10 toes, and he delivered strike after strike after strike, and really – if it wasn't for the Vikings turning the ball over as much as they did, which is, hey, you know, ifs and buts, we don't live in that realm. If your grandmother had balls, she'd be your grandfather. I get that. But in reality, I feel very strongly about this. If the Vikings did not turn the ball over as much, the outcome of this game could have been very different. The Vikings really did not have an issue moving the ball whatsoever. The play-action pass was killing the Philadelphia Eagles. TJ Hawkinson was feasting off of that. He was able to get into the end zone twice. But this defense really is concerning to me. You look at the offense. They realized in the second quarter, on that first drive in the second quarter, what's our bread and butter? We are an elite rush offense. Let's give the ball to DeAndre Swift. Let's get the ball into Boston Scott's hands. Let's get some runs outside of the pocket with Jalen Hurts. Seven runs in a row on that drive they ended up scoring on. That's really what set up the rest of their offensive game plan because then the Vikings were selling out on the run. Even still, they couldn't stop it. 
Then it started to open up the pass a little bit. That's what allowed Jalen Hurts to take that deep ball over the top on, uh, excuse me, that deep ball over the top to Smitty. That was a great pass. And, and really where the pressure was in his face, he still delivered a strike. Hurts was still pressured a good amount in this game as well. 14 pressures, was sacked four times. A couple sacks where you look at and be like, hey, Jalen, you got to be smarter. I'm with you, Joel. It's a new season. There are going to be growing uh, growing pains with the new system. But as someone who does expect more from this offense, there's still continuity in the sense of the personnel on your offense. Your pass offense was supposed to significantly increase from last season where you are now in the second season with A.J. Brown. Smitty's now going into his third season, and Smitty's looked amazing. But the fact that Smitty's going off, and I have A.J. Brown on the sideline, kind of going off on on the offensive personnel, kind of throwing a a, a – I don't want to say tantrum. That's a little bit rude. But kind of they're obviously having an argument. They're obviously talking about something that's going on wrong. When the Eagles are already up two touchdowns, there are concerns to be had with this team. But I'm not looking at the offense more so as I'm looking at the defense. I'm concerned about the defense. I'm keeping a, a microscope on the offense right now, but I'm concerned about this defense. This defensive line is not the same dominant unit that it was last year. Even last year, it got overrated. They faced the easiest schedule in the NFL, and that defensive line feasted on a lot of weak offensive lines. This year, they've gone up against pretty two weak offensive lines early in the season. Against the Vikings, it looked pretty dominant but not as dominant as last year. And then against the Patriots, it was good as well. But I think the defensive line is going to regress. They look a little bit better against the run, but ultimately, you already have Avante Maddox injured. He might be out for this season. James Bradbury's in concussion protocol. Reed Blankenship did not play. N'Kobe Dean is on IR. The problem with this Eagles defense is going to be coverage all the way. Right now, starting is Zach Cunningham, and Zach Cunningham is a great run stopper, but you have a trade-off with him because he's a great run stopper, but he is one of the worst in coverage, which means that he is going to get exposed every single game. The Eagles have one of the worst safety duos in the NFL. The only reliable corner on this team is Darius Slay as of right now. We've already seen Mac Jones pass for 300 yards on him. Kirk, Kirk, Kirk Cousins pass for 300 yards on him. I don't think this defense is up there with the 49ers, with the Cowboys, and not up there with them. They're, they're an okay unit, but I'm really worried about where this defense is trending. And then offensively, Jalen Hurts, these are the facts. Last year is one of the worst quarterbacks against the Blitz and against the zone. Week one, he was one for nine for six yards against the Blitz versus the Patriots. In week two, in the first half, Brian Flores really was just playing two coverages. It was either 3-3-5 three, three, zone or it was zero blitz. And when they zero blitz, the Philadelphia Eagles offense, Jalen Hurts would check out of whatever look they were in, and he would try a whole shot. And that's how we got those plays, those deep bombs of Devontae Smith, one in the first half and then another one in the second half for the touchdown. But ultimately, these are the looks Jalen Hurts is going to face. And they started committing to the running game because if a defense is lining up in a, in a three-defensive line front, I mean, that's just asking to get runned on. But Brian Flores is going to take that trade off. He's going to let you eat you alive with yardage, but not give up points. So that was his game plan coming into this game. The Eagles offense, the rushing offense we know is still going to be there. But to me, it feels like a lot of concepts that Jalen Hurts loved running last year, RPO heavy concepts with Shane Steichen. This year, it feels like more of a traditional drop back game. And some of that, is how the defenses are now playing the Eagles 
with those zone defenses, taking those things away. But it is an adjustment period. But losing somebody like Shane Steichen, that is a big deal. And I don't think it's similar to in previous years when we've seen last year Joe Burrow managing against too high. He had a continuity with his play caller, with the Rams, even when it was Sean McVay and Jared Goff, they were unable to figure out the solution to that until a couple years later when Sean McVay got Stafford because he needed a different quarterback to push the ball down the field. So right now, when I look at the Eagles offense, I'm looking at it and I'm saying they're going to be facing some tough defenses. Tampa Bay, listen, on paper, because they have Baker Mayfield, they get underrated. But the defense with Todd Bowles, he knows how to coach defense. They have the Jets in the next upcoming weeks. That's going to be a big challenge. The Eagles offense, I'm looking at and I'm saying, I might start to get a little bit worried, but that defense, oh, I'm concerned. It's not going to be a top defense like it was last year, and it's nowhere near the Cowboys or the 49ers defense, not even in the same stratosphere. It's always tough to kind of get back to the Super Bowl because not only does this team get stripped of both their coordinators, but you lose Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, you lose Marcus Epps, so now you're throwing out there Terrell Edmonds, Reed Blankenship's hurt, and it feels like for this Eagles team, it's another reminder that no team has won the NFC East back-to-back years since 2004. And when you look at how great this team is, the talent offensively, the offensive line, the floor is always going to be super high, but the real challenge is maintaining that level of elite play. And I think we kind of all expect this, right? You lose Shane Steichen, and you can almost make the case he was more vital to this team than Shane Steichen because of the play call and how big of a role he played in Jalen Hurts' development. So to me... I'm not hitting the panic button on their offense, but I am with all of you guys. The defense is pretty reliant on our guy at Big Play Slay. And, of course, with James Bradbury being up there in age as well, it, it does feel a little bit top-heavy here. And so if anything is going to hold him back this year, last year is that run defense, which could have been better. Now you plug in Jordan Davis. And, of course, Fletcher Cox, Jalen Carter. The secondary, though, may not have the answers. So, No, I agree with that. I agree with what you said. Kirk Cousins had 364 yards and four touchdowns. The Vikings had four fumbles. And I think that was really the big difference in this game is that the Vikings, it felt like whenever they had an opportunity to capitalize, Jalen Hurst throws an interception. Oh, we have an Alexander Madison fumble. They just could never find their groove and they were always playing from behind. But when looking at the Minnesota Vikings, Justin Jefferson is the fastest receiver to hit 5,000 yards in in his career. He's tied for the fastest hit 5,000 yards. That's oh, I, thought, I thought we were getting into some leader in receiving. <laughs> yeah, that was nah, just a, Jen, a random stat to be dropped on us with, yeah, with we, no follow-up. We follow were talking up. about uh, on the fantasy reaction last night when we had Riv on, we were talking about kind of tiers of receivers and where if there's a drop-off between Jettas and Tyreek and the rest of the league, right? In my opinion, I think those two are almost in a tier of their own. I give the I give Tay respect. I give Cup, Chase, Diggs. They're all in the next tier. But the fact that Jed is at 5K, and at least coming into this year, he was like 900 yards above anyone else throughout their first three seasons. I think it was Randy Moss in second place. So as the season goes on, as Jed's career goes on, these are the stats and numbers you're going to hear. We don't really have to talk about how insane he is. You know, when it comes to the Vikings offense, Alexander Madison has been such a liability. And... I've seen some people out there give takes that maybe the Vikings should go out and trade for Jonathan Taylor, but mm. it just seems as if if you go do that, backwards. you're you're paying Jettas forty million annually, and then you're going to have to pay Jonathan Taylor 
anywhere between 12 to 15 annually. And now your running back and your wide receiver will be getting paid like 50 million of the salary cap. And like you said, it just feels like that's building a roster backwards. But the Vikings cannot get any running game whatsoever. No, that, that's what happens when they relied uh, or I guess hopeful that Alexander Madison, who had a handful of games throughout his career when Dalvin Cook went down, he played well. But that's also in like four or five games and more than half of them, I think almost all of them were against like Chicago and Detroit and some of the worst rush defenses in the league. There, there's a lot of times where you have backup running backs like Tevin Coleman comes to mind who, who look really good in spurts. And then you give him the workhorse job and they don't look like the same running back. Alexander Madison is averaging like three. He averaged like three and a half yards per touch yesterday. He had the fumbles. He wasn't good week one, but lucky for him is there's no one else behind him. Like they have like Ty Chandler. There, there is no other running back there. So barring a Kareem Hunt or Leonard Fournette situation, Alexander Madison is going to be the guy going forward. And it's, they're also in a tough, well, let me say he's in a tough situation because first two weeks you go up against a Bucks defense that obviously is not a, a, they're not a slouch defensively by any means, especially in the run department. They've been one of the better rush defenses over the last couple of seasons, but Vita Vea, Devin White, they did their thing against Minnesota. Alexander Madison wasn't really able to get anything going. And then this week was an unfortunate matchup as well, going up against the Philadelphia Eagles, Jordan Davis, uh, uh, Carter as well. This defensive line, that interior defensive line was obviously very, very dominant, but really it's a tough start to a season. If you're Alexander Madison, where you're first get, you're finally getting your, your strong opportunity to be the lead back. And you have two rough matchups back to back. I obviously understand where you guys are coming from numbers, the just the eye test alone. It doesn't look great. But there were a couple of moments where he was able to catch a few passes, get open in a little bit of space, but such limited opportunity, only nine carries. You really can't get much going with that. But I think better days are to come. You're not going to face two of the better run defenses in the National Football League. Uh, we even saw Ramondre Stevenson versus this Eagles defensive line not be able to get anything really going. He had a lot of his success through the passing game. So I'm going to be cautious not not really be quick trigger to to shit on Madison, but I can understand where you guys are coming from, especially just looking at the raw numbers. When you look at the Eagles schedule in the next coming weeks, do you see any game that sticks out to you as a Jalen Hurts Eagles offense bounce back game or get right game for the passing offense? They do have a pretty easy schedule up until that Jets game. Um, I'm pulling it up here. They have Tampa Bay next week, which it isn't easy, I wouldn't say. But then Washington, you got the Rams, who who knows? Maybe they they end up being a decent defense, but coming into the season um, wasn't great. Passing offense wise, even like the like Washington, for example, that's not going to be easy. Tampa Bay is not going to be easy, right? Like even if the secondary might not be great for some of the team, like they have a pass rush. Um, but I still think even if the passing offense isn't going to be great. We're going to be sitting, or not we, but the Eagles are going to be sitting at probably 5-0, and maybe 6-0 if they're able to beat the Jets. So and also, these teams they're going up against, Tampa Bay, Washington, Los Angeles, these were all teams I think we had in, in the bottom 20 at least, if not further down or a power rankings list going into the season. 
And also, from what we saw yesterday, it took them a quarter to realize, oh, yeah, we are one of the best, if not the best, rush offense in the National Football League. They can still be dominant in that regard and still pull out a win like this when their defense isn't playing up to par. To put up 34 points, and we were talking about the offense, it speaks to the standard that they've already set for themselves and all the expectations that Jalen Hurts, A.J. Brown, and Devontae Smith do have on their shoulders. We can't forget about Goddard, who really hasn't been that much of a, a factor in this offense. Six receptions, but not that efficient, obviously. However, I, I still feel very confident in this pass offense. It's early in the season. There are some good matchups. I like the Washington matchup. Uh, the defensive line of the Rams is always going to be solid so long as Aaron Donald's there. But that secondary isn't isn't one that I'm looking at where I'm shying away from the Philadelphia Eagles. New York, not a great matchup, but Miami. Uh, obviously, we know I love Miami, but regardless, that secondary isn't great. Jalen Ramsey probably will not be ready by that time. That's late October. That's October 22nd. He probably won't be there again. Uh, Dallas, great defensive unit. Kansas City, another one where I can see where Jalen Hurts has already done it. He can do it again in Kansas City. Their game plan in the Super Bowl was to stop the run. Jalen Hurts said, hold my beer. I'm going to throw for over 300 yards on you. So they have the capabilities it was a great game plan by Flores that obviously was executed poorly because the Eagles realized very quickly, oh, they're trying to defend the pass. We are the Philadelphia Eagles. DeAndre Swift deserves respect and acknowledgement. We tried to gloss over him this entire conversation so far. 28 attempts, 175 yards. He was the best player on this Philadelphia offense. He was sensational. His vision was probably the best that I've seen so far in his career. That was his huge knock in Detroit. He lacked vision where, yes, there was a bunch of gaps. This offensive line, especially when it comes to run blocking, is unbelievable. There were a few plays where DeAndre Swift saw that he had nothing in the middle. He bounced it outside. He had so he had some great runs. I even saw Joel give him his praise when he broke out for that 43-yard hey, rush. Bro. Joel was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The tribal chief has moved. I love that meme. But DeAndre Swift put, put together an extremely impressive performance, a performance that we know, given his skill set, especially put in this offense, he can have success. It's just a matter of if he can stay healthy. I'm not hitting the panic button on this offense. I can understand if you want to say, hey, I'm keeping my eye on this. But what you need to be talking about is how poor this secondary is. That is the huge problem. The Eagles had a 70% rushing success rate against the Vikings. That's one of like the most historically great performances Dominate. against oh a defense. I just really don't think the Eagles are going to be facing much defensive fronts that are only going to line up three defensive linemen on the line of scrimmage. Yeah, that was very, very yeah. odd. So for yeah. me, when it when it comes to that, it's like, you know, DeAndre Swift had two great runs where he bounced it outside, one of them leading to the touchdown that sealed the game. But to me, I mean, they it was like the, the Vikings defense was getting gashed. They were getting gashed, and I don't think that Tampa Bay or a team like the Jets or even Dallas – that same type of thing is going to happen. Like these lanes are going to be clogged and it was a great performance by Swift, but the knock on him is that when these lanes are clogged, he has in the past tended to make the wrong decisions. So for me in a game like the Vikings, it's a great confidence booster for him, but I need to see it against a tougher defense because this defense, it, they were begging for the Eagles to run the ball on them. And that's why I don't, you know, Brian Johnson, yeah, he adjusted to it, but you know, you adjusted it to doing something that was fairly obvious. If they're lining up three defensive linemen, I would hope that you're not dropping back and trying to pass into eight people in coverage. It did only take them a quarter to realize it. 
in that second quarter, that entire drive, they went seven runs in a row, said, hey, you don't want to defend the run. We're going to run it down your throat. That's just what you're going to have to take it. That's just the reality. You're going you're gonna to have to take it. The whole thing, the whole thing. And that's exactly what happened. They ended up scoring and they kept that same energy throughout the entirety of the game. So I'll say it was a, a decent idea, but in hindsight, let's be honest. There's what way are you going to beat the Philadelphia Eagles? It's definitely not going to be by trying to limit the pass because they know when what history has shown us is that this is still a, a dominant run offense, which is why I still don't feel worried about this this Philadelphia Eagles offense because you try to take the pass away. They so obviously can be one of the best rush teams in the NFL. And then you try to take the run away. We've seen already that Jalen Hurts does have the capabilities. Now, I mentioned a stat about Justin Jefferson earlier because there are a lot of all-time receivers that he is going to be compared to just by nature. So this is going to be, would you rather Justin Jefferson edition these players I'm comparing him to at their absolute best. The first mm. name is Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas with the Saints was on a pathway to being one of the best receivers. Jettas, Jettas can just do everything that Michael Thomas can, but better. And that's with respect yep. to MT. You can't guard him. You can't guard him. Can't guard Mike. Absolutely. That being said, Jettas is just the most clean route runner. He has one of the best hands. His route tree is, let's not call... Michael Thomas, just a, a guy that runs slants, but you look at the route tree of a Justin Jefferson, he kills in the short, he kills in the intermediate. And obviously he's such a deep threat. You can't stop him regardless of what you do. It's a shame. Big, oh my God, Mike Thomas was almost sensational. He was historical his first three years, but Jess has only one up that so far. So Jess is easily. Right? I'm going with Justin Jefferson too. Next name up Julio Jones. People are going to get so angry when we all <laughs> say are. Justin Jefferson. They are. Because Julio Jones is an all-time great. The thing with Jettas is on top of him being one of the most efficient receivers, he does get the ball. He is He was the league leader in receptions last year. He also gets into the end zone. And that wasn't fully because of Julio. That was not Julio Jones' fault for some reason. They just were not seeing him in the red zone whenever they would get down there. But up until this point, Jettas just knows how to get into the end zone for that, for as close as it is, for as young as Jettas is, I, the sky's the limit for this kid. I'm, I'm leaning Jettas. Even in Julio Jones' absolute prime, Justin Jefferson's first three years is almost better than any three-year stretch you could pick out of Julio. And it's insane to say because, of course, Julio's going to have the counting numbers. His career's over. First ballot Hall of Famer. Give me Justin Jefferson, though. I mean, th that's the type of player he is. I agree. Julio, it was really on Matt Ryan, I felt like, not getting to the red zone as much, end zone, but so I'm going to lean Jed is here slightly. Larry Fitzgerald. Legend. The most disrespected wide receiver when you talk about the all-time greats is Larry Fitzgerald. The longevity that he has, the only receiver that had more longevity and be as great as they were was Jerry Rice. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. Why? Peak, Why am peak I for peak, peak for peak? It's Jettas, I think, pretty comfortably. But the fact that Larry Fitzgerald is able to put up, I'm looking at his numbers just on, on pro football reference. Second all time. 2005, he was able to put up 1,400 yards. Then in 2017, 12 years later, he was still able to put up 1,200 yards. 
Will Justin Jefferson still be that good 12 years into his career? We don't know that yet, but I think we could comfortably say that peak for peak, Jettis is the better receiver. Ah, just Perfectly the touchdowns. Larry Fitzgerald is the model of consistency. He did have a couple years where he played with Kurt Warner, but outside of that, Larry Fitzgerald never had a quarterback like Kirk Cousins. Carson if, Palmer. Respect, Carson. respect on Palmer. Carson Palmer was – he had a, one year, and then he tore his ACL. He wasn't really with them for long. And Larry Fitzgerald was kind of past his prime at that point, even though he was still putting up great numbers. To me, looking at the – Model of consistency that Larry Fitzgerald is, second all-time in receiving yards, and never had consistent great quarterback play. I'm going to go with Larry Fitzgerald. Next name that. up. I'm glad I didn't have to pick one. Calvin Johnson. Calvin. Oof. Calvin. Calvin. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Jed is ha- – that's one I need to see it just for a couple more seasons. There's – Yes, there's like probably going to be three names. I'm thinking maybe four off the top of my head that I'm like, Jed is, you're my favorite, but not yet. Calvin's one of them. He, I mean, you don't get the nickname Megatron without dominating the NFL. And what he was able to do, I mean, back-to-back years of 1,700 and almost 2,000 yards with 16 touchdowns. Like, And it's not just the numbers. You watch Megatron play. He was just playing the wide receiver position different than almost anyone else in the NFL. Like him and Matt Stafford, their connection of, you know, the meme, it's like, fuck it. Calvin's down there somewhere that really came to real life because that was the type of player Calvin was where he could win in in different areas of the field, but being six, five, that fast, that physical, that vertically gifted that he could jump over anyone while being taller than everyone. He was just playing the wide receiver position. Then it's almost unique to anyone else we've seen. No, the, yeah, unless your name's you Chris Claypool, you'll get that nickname. It's Calvin Johnson to me as well, the ultimate triple crown guy. I mean, that peak is one of the kinds. I'm gonna lean him here. Yeah, for all the reasons that Joel said, perfectly said, physically gifted is the first thing that comes to mind when you think of Calvin. He was faster than you. So if you wanted to try and press him, he was getting by you. But you couldn't press him because he was stronger than you. You wanted to put two guys, that wasn't enough. Even sometimes you wanted to put three, that wasn't enough. He could outjump everyone. He was never dropping a pass. Calvin is just one of one. I don't know if I'll ever see a, a receiver like him in the NFL ever again. I'm going with Calvin. And the last two names, Randy Moss. Got to go Randy. That's Randy, it. Randy as well. It, similar to Calvin, it was just he was playing the position differently. Like, and he almost just had like different, it almost was like different eras of Randy Moss's career. Like early on in Minnesota was one era where he was dominant. Then when he gets to when he gets to uh New England with Tom Brady, he breaks records. And it's like that's like another dominant era of Randy Moss's career. He has all the counting stats on top of it. I'm still going, Randy. Randy. I like Justin Jefferson here. This is where I, I like Justin Jefferson. This is where I like Justin Jefferson. Are you going to give why? I just like him more, man. It's just the aura. Justin Jefferson aura. I just like the Justin Jefferson aura Randy a little Moss, bit Randy Moss, low-key invented aura. High K. Yeah, yeah. He, he, the position, check the he invented that well. shit. Listen, yeah, you're right. You're right. But we're talking about a former Vikings legend and a current Vikings legend. I'm going to go with the current Vikings legend. But again, Justin what, Jefferson. The, the reasoning. I need a reason. You can't just say so I'm going to go with the, the new why school. Why Calvin then, but not Randy? When it's all, so the reasoning behind why I'm taking Justin Jefferson is maybe I'm projecting too far ahead. 
but I don't think that Justin Jefferson is going to have an ending to his career like Randy Moss had, where Randy Moss goes to Tennessee, he goes to the Raiders, he goes to his very last stop, I believe, with the San Francisco 49ers, and all of those teams, he didn't make much of an impact. For me, I think Justin Jefferson, even after his 30s, will be an impactful wide receiver, and that wasn't the case once Randy Moss got to like his mid-30s. But I also two say years like 2010, he didn't do anything. 2011, he didn't play. Came back for 2012, then called it quits. It's really just two years at the end where he didn't do anything. How old was so he? You're taking Larry Fitzgerald over Randy Moss, also. Larry Fitzgerald because of the longevity. Yeah, Jess is in your ear right now. She said, "You you're better choose Larry. Guy, huh? Larry Legend, man. Larry Legend. And then the last name is Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown. I'm." And all due respect, Antonio Brown mastered the yard of the wide receiver position at 5'11". And I feel like Jettis is very similar. He's a little bit bigger. But Antonio Brown and me, the deception, the release was one of a kind. His route running and yards of the catch ability, though, was so sensationally dominant. People thought Deontay Johnson could replace him, and they undervalued the spatial awareness, the hands consistency. (laughs) I I mean, Antonio Brown was remarkable. And I'm just still traumatized by the fact I really wish that team could have won a Super Bowl, and I think they could have in 2015 if he didn't get hurt, man. So I, I'm still yeah. irked by that, man. We're so close. I, I think I slightly lean A-B for right now. The fact that he went on a six-year stretch of being the best receiver in football, well, like John said, being like 5'10", 5'11", not being like this physical dominated force, but but pure. Like he, Of course, he was a great athlete. Don't get me wrong, but – we're, we're talking about Calvin Johnson and Randy Moss. It's like, he is not that. Right. But just how technically sound he was in everything he did, how insane his hands were, I I do slightly lean Antonio Brown. But Jettas is halfway there towards – like, A.B.'s really has like a six-year peak. Jettas is halfway there to the six-year peak because those first three years matches, the uh, you know, really the, the best three years of A.B.'s career as well. So he did go six years in a row of – a thousand and a hundred catches it would have been eight years of a thousand yards in a row he did get injured his third year he only put up 787 that was in 13 games and he only started 10 but that six-year period is some of the greatest football a wide receiver has ever played in this game a hundred catches a thousand yards he put up double-digit touchdowns in one, two, three, four seasons. And in the last year that he had double-digit touchdowns, it was supposedly a down year when he led the league in fifteen with 15 touchdowns. Antonio Brown is going to get a lot of you know discredit. They're going to try and discredit his game for the antics off the field. You can judge a person off the field, no doubt about it. But when you're on, when you're on the field, it's undeniable. Antonio Brown was always going to show up. I'm gonna go with Justin Jefferson here. Just that three year, you had to. three years he's you been chose doing him over it. Randy. You have yeah, to I'm going with Justin Jefferson here. Oh, I'm going to. with Justin Jefferson. So let me. Larry Fitzgerald's your second favorite wide receiver all time. Definitely, he's in. He's in the top. Definitely. Over the burningest Coles, bro. <laughs> over Wayne Corbett. Yeah. Are you taking him over Terrell Owens too? I don't know if that's a name you're you're not gonna ask us, but Terrell I didn't Owens ask you good. guys Terrell Owens, but I I would take Terrell Owens. I think Terrell Owens is better. So than Randy name. Moss is not in your top five wide receivers. No, nah, he is in my top five receivers. Number one, of course, is Jerry Rice. Uh, number be. two, I like Terrell Owens at number two. Number three, I could go with. Um, yeah, this is hard. 
I'm Antonio, just taking his career. You took, you took Larry. Count, you, you took Larry Fitzgerald for the career that he's had. I go Randy Moss for. And then number five, Calvin Peak. I don't know if he has like a top five wide receiver career. Well, he has, he, I was going to say he has the greatest. Let me say the second best yeah. is Cooper Cup, but like he peak does for have peak, a record for Calvin, like peak for like if we're talking about Larry Fitzgerald, peak for peak with other wide receivers, he's not going to be a top five receiver. But if we're talking about peak for peak, but just the longevity and how long he did it for, I think Perfect. that's what gets him into the top five. Yeah. So where's Jettas? Because you took Jettas over Randy. That's the only thing that's stuck in my head. Well, Justin Jefferson right now is not a top five wide receiver ever. I'm not saying but that. But he but can again, get to that. He you, can definitely get to so that. You again. said you would you would rather Jettas over a Randy. But Calvin, you're taking over Jettas. You're taking Larry over Jettas. You're taking T.O. over Jettas. Obviously, you have to take Jerry Rice because that's, that's the best wide receiver of all time. But that's why I'm asking, is Randy in your top five when it's going to be all said and done? It's like I think he, he's, you have when to. it's all said and done, Randy Moss, like right now, currently, I probably have him number five. It's just Calvin Johnson is just a different beast. He's six, number six. Five. He runs super fast. Like for me, Calvin Johnson versus Randy Moss, peak for peak, peak for peak. Who's the better receiver? I would go Calvin Johnson. I think he was that dominant where I think Justin Jefferson and Randy Moss have similar builds. And I'll just like Jefferson. I like his finesse more. I like his route running more than Randy Moss. But Randy Moss is a much better deep threat, and I think he's better at ball tracking too. Damn. Jerry, I'm, I'm just looking at Jerry's career. He got banged up a little bit to, to start his career, but he's like outside of one season in 1997, he did not miss a game from 1988 to 2004. He did and, bro, the year that he had 22 touchdowns, they played 12 games. Yep. It was a short season. Touchdowns. What a freak. 12 yeah, games, 22. That is stupid. <laughs> Pro is averaging two a game. Longevity and durability record. On he's to the on, next he's topic. Josh Gordon shit. Of the show, week two Mojo player props and our upset picks. Now. We're going to start off with the player props, but before we do that, we're just going to explain to you guys what Mojo Fantasy is. So Mojo Fantasy is a brand new DFS app that Mojo has created. It's available in 19 states, California, Texas, Florida, the big ones. And right here is a screenshot of how Mojo Fantasy looks. We have our own exclusive contest on the app. It's called Pick Aside NFL Kickoff. It has all the Sunday games, $10 entry. You use code PAS, you will get a deposit match on whatever you put into the app up to $100. The contestants in this contest is up to 50 only, and they're giving away $1,000 in prizes, which means that out of the 50 people that join that put in $10, that's a $500 pool. Mojo is going to be generous enough to add another $500 mm. on top of it. Now, yesterday on Thursday, Drew, Riv, and I made our mojo DFS picks. I had Kirk Cousins over one and a half passing touchdowns. Lock that it. hit. Drew Jalen Hurts anytime touchdown. Lock that it. hit. Riv AJ Brown over 75 and a half receiving yards. And this is the thing. I picked I picked Riv's prop because he wasn't nowhere to be found. It was between Devontae Smith and it was between AJ Brown. And I said, you know what? I'm going to just go with A.J. Brown, the wide receiver one. And Devontae Smith ended up having the far better game and would have hit the player prop had I picked him. I, I see why Riv didn't show up today. 
<laughs> and now this is how Mojo Fantasy works. I'm going to show you guys a video. You start with $500 Mojo bucks in your portfolio. Once you enter the contest, you go to pick your picks, and there's going to have three sections, Riff's pick, Drew's pick, and Joel's pick. Those are all the picks that we're going to mention on the show today. And then it's followed by all the props from the other games happening on Sunday. So you enter a contest, you choose up to four player props. And if you are one of the leaders in the leaderboard in terms of your portfolio, then you win some money. So let's get on to these player props. Week two player props, Drew, who you got? So first and foremost, uh, credit to, to these guys for... Well, let me say one of them for for Mike Evans getting to the end zone last week and the and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers upsetting Minnesota, having ten targets, six receptions for sixty yards, getting to the end zone. That was an impressive feat in itself. I think Mike Evans is going to be on 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 a revenge tour almost for the fact that Tampa Bay are not willing to give him the contract that he wants. So he's going to go out there every single week and take it personally. And this week he is going up against Chicago bears defense. That is very, very forgiving. They're going to go and they're going to allow him to do whatever he wants. And regardless of that fact, Baker Mayfield is going to force feed Mike Evans. Obviously you respect Chris Godwin, but Mike Evans is the number one target and he is going and his prop, excuse me, 53 and a half receiving yards. I think that he should easily get that one. Next is going to be Russ's over of 20 and a half passing completions. Joshua Dobbs had over 20 and a half passing completions versus the Washington commanders this past Sunday. Russ is a well better quarterback than he is. Russ had 27 completions against the, the Raiders secondary. I think that with Jerry Judy coming back, there should be a lot more explosiveness. There should be a lot more efficiency. And I believe that Russ will be the beneficiary of that 20 and a half. And especially, I believe if I'm not mistaken, it's at 44 cents right now, which is the lowest of the three props that I'm allowing you to, to take a look at under my name. And the last one's going to be King Henry, 87 and a half rush yards versus the Chargers. The Chargers defense is going to be up there for, for one of the worst, and particularly their rush defense. They're not going to have to face Miami every single week. Thank God for that. I'm sure they wouldn't love that by any means, especially in 2023. However, you look at that game versus the Saints. They relied too heavily upon Ryan Tannehill, and Tajay Spears did outsnap Derrick Henry. Going up against the Chargers, there should be a clear game plan. Let's give the ball to Derrick. Let's allow him to to dominate our offense, allow him to dominate the line of scrimmage and, and really impose his will and take over this game. I think that that's a great line. 87 and a half. He's going to see a ton of opportunity. These are easily my favorite picks of the week. I've got a weird line. Matthew Stafford over 33 and a half passing attempts. Set at 50. John, are you allowed to gamble? Yes. All yes. right. Let's dive in. The Rams last week didn't rush the football too well, but Stafford had one of his best games as a Ram. He didn't throw any touchdowns, but he was dicing apart that Seattle secondary. And the 49ers front seven last week was unbelievable versus Steelers stopping the run. Drake Jackson's developing. And altogether, I think that secondary is one that the Rams are going to look to target. They're going to, Stafford threw the ball 38 times last week. I'm expecting that to continue even with Cooper Cup being out, although they're saying he could be back for week five, so we'll see. Mojo week two player props for me, Bijan Robinson over 55 and a half rushing yards. Last week, he had 56 yards on 10 carries. In this game, he's facing a Green Bay Packers team who I am still not sure how good they are at stopping the run. This is going to be a great test for the Falcons offense. And Bijan Robinson should get more carries in this game 
And whenever he has the ball, he is a threat to take it to the house. Next one, Sam Howell under 203 and a half passing yards versus that Broncos defense. Last week, he finished with 202 passing yards. He's going up against a better defense, even though they have some liabilities. And Sam Howell, to me, still hasn't impressed me. I'm going under on his line right now. And then my third one, Joe Burrow over 271 and a half passing yards. He just had the worst game of his career. He's going to bounce back. The Ravens secondary is hobbled. Marlon Humphrey's out. Marcus Williams is out. This secondary is really banged up. And I think Joe Burrow is going to light them up through the air. I think you get 300 this game, but I'm mm -hmm. going with 271 and a half going over on those passing yards. And for Riv, Riv's props because he can't be here today, but he sent me them through text. Lamar Jackson over his 272 and a half passing plus rushing yards. I like Bijan Robinson, he took the same line as me over 55 and a half rushing yards. And Michael Pittman Jr. over four and a half receptions versus the Texans. So I like those a lot. I don't hate Which nice one? Job, guys. Thank you, Dennis. I can't say if I like them or not, but nice job. That's all I'll say. <laughs> Thank you. So Mojo Fantasy is available in 19 states and D.C. You can use code PAS for a 100% deposit match up to $100. And we're in love with Mojo Fantasy. It's a crazy new app that turns sportsbook odds and selections into fantasy contests. Here's how it works. There are thousands of NFL and MLB player props. You build a portfolio, and the better portfolio performs, the more cash you win. Pick as many props as you want and try to beat the crowd. It's a whole new way to play fantasy. The props act like stocks, so you can buy and sell live all game long. It's the only fantasy app that lets you make moves after the game starts, so you're not stuck with a bad pick. You can cash in on a hot start or just hang on and let them ride. That's it. Make picks, make move, make money. Check it out on the Apple App Store, Mojo Fantasy, and they're coming to more states soon. Let's get into our upset picks now for week two. I have three of them. I'm using Mojo's spread lines on the app. The first one is the Titans at plus three and a half. I picked the Titans to win in the pick them. They're underdogs. DeAndre Hopkins is going to be questionable for this game. But much like Drew, I think that this should be a big Tom Derrick Henry game. What is kind of scaring me a little bit, though, is that Amani Hooker is out for the Titans. Christian Fulton, their best corner, is out for the Titans. So to me, it's going to be a mismatch on both ends, and I think it's just going to come down to who has the ball last, who's able to score, kick a field goal, or a touchdown. But I like the Titans at plus three and a half to cover regardless. You're only taking one upset, sir? I have three, but I'll let y'all go. Oh, you know what? That's perfect because I had the Titans over the Chargers as well. Jaguars over the Chiefs, I feel less confident about that now knowing that Chris Jones and Travis Kelsey most likely will be playing. The Chiefs definitely cannot start the season off 0-2. I mean, if there was a team that you felt confident in going 0-2 and again, bouncing back, it would be the Kansas City Chiefs. That was definitely one I was considering. But the last one is going to be the Ravens over the Bengals. I understand that they definitely have some hits, won't have Marcus Williams. They definitely aren't the most healthy team. They have some injuries to the offensive line. Linderbaum is most likely going to miss this game. Is Staley also going to, to miss this game as well? Staley is, yeah. Correct. So this offensive line's banged up. The Cincinnati Bengals definitely are a hungry team. But 
I didn't love what I saw from the Bengals last week. Again, I said I'm pressing that with a grain of salt. It was raining. The Browns came in with an excellent game plan. Jim Schwartz executed an amazing defense. But overall, I look at this Ravens def- uh, this Ravens team as a whole, this Ravens defense, where it is banged up, has done a good job of limiting Joe Burrow, especially I'm thinking of that last time where they met in the playoffs where Lamar Jackson did not play. I love this matchup for the Ravens. I think Lamar Jackson does have a big game. This Bengals defense is one that I'm not fully in on. I respect Anarunmo. He's one of the better defensive coordinators in the National Football League, but it is early in the season. I think the Ravens can take advantage of this matchup. Man, we had half a dozen upsets last week, so I'm expecting the pendulum to kind of balance out. For me, the only game I'm keeping an eye on is the Seahawks as plus five and a half versus the Lions. I don't think they're going to win, but I do wonder if they can cover. Just a little bit shaky about that secondary that was beamed up to start week one, so that's a game to keep an eye on. The game I'm looking at as an upset is the Jacksonville Jaguars plus three and a half going up against the Chiefs. Um, The Chiefs never take anything lightly, so that's not what I'm saying. But I think the Jaguars are going to care more about this game, kind of feeling like a little brother to the Chiefs' big brother than the Chiefs are. The only thing that stopped me from being fully invested is the Chiefs probably feel like we have to win after going down 0-1 and getting your two best players back. But I do think the Jaguars are going to be more up for this game. And they're probably going to feel like, even though it's week two, we want to make a statement because last year we lost to them. And we know if we want to get to the Super Bowl, we have to go through these guys. So I like Jacksonville plus three and a half. My next also, pick. I'm sorry, Joel, but before you go, they also did lose to Mahomes on one ankle. So it's like uh, they got their little caveat potential to win the game and they still came up short. That is true. Disrespect Chad Henney now. <laughs> Chad Henney in his one drive did score a touchdown. It came with Chiefs right there. That would be a great mentor to young not Zach, a flex. Zach Ray that Wilson. Is not a flex. <laughs> My goodness, Joel. Next upset pick. I have the Falcons at plus two and a half on Mojo. I'm surprised they're underdogs given the nature of the Packers injuries right now. Aaron Jones is likely not playing. He hasn't practiced all week. Christian Watson is also probably not going to play. Luke Musgrave. Romeo Dobbs, game time decision. I do like Romeo Dobbs, Jaden Reed, and Luke Musgrave. And last week, the Falcons played a lot of man-to-man coverage. And against this Packers offense that is very motion heavy, that can come back to bite them. But ultimately, I think that the Falcons have a much healthier and complete team as of right now. What worries me is really how much trust Arthur Smith is going to have into Desmond Ritter in this game. You know, Zero. is it going to be is it going to be a game where they're passing the ball more? It's more play yeah. action looks on first Against down. Shia Alexander. So well, yeah. these are two favorite teams, dude. The, really, these are my two NFC teams that I had agendas for coming into the season. The one that he but leans think, nine wins. But I think the Falcons <laughs> are just a team. <laughs> <laughs> I think the Falcons are just a team that. They're just healthier right now, and because of that, I feel like they should win, and I think they'll cover this spread at plus two. When are you going to pick the Packers, man? The biggest Jordan Love guy in the (laughs) universe has not picked for Jordan Love. What are we doing? Listen, I thought about it this week long and hard. Next week, I'm picking them for sure. Let me ask you a question, Joel. Go ahead. Answer that question. I have no idea. 
But whoever it is, I'm going to pick them. Imagine. Let me ask you a question, Joel. Are you buying the hype of this Atlanta Falcons defense? Do you think that this could be a sleeper top 10 unit? David Onyemata, Grady Jarrett, Jesse Jesse Bates. We saw AJ Terrell really lock in. Of course, the matchup wasn't there before target. Zero completions allowed. Is this one of the better low-key defensive units in the National Football League? Or was it just a week one shot in the... Just uh, a very impressive performance against a rookie quarterback and a rookie coach to the team. Of course, Frank Reich's respected. They got fortunate that they faced Bryce Young, really. And they faced, honestly, a team that lacks any juice on the outside. The reason why Bryce Young was intercepted twice on the same concept, pretty much, is because Jesse Bates was not respecting any deep outside threat. That's really the biggest reason why. I think the Falcons' defense is good, good enough not to get torched like they did last year because they brought in a lot of talent, but I think they're going to be an average unit. I don't see them being a top 10 unit, but I think they're just good enough for this offense to put up points and for them to keep them in games. Okay. They face the Saints next. The Packers do. Not a great matchup. I think you probably... No, for the Saints, it's not a great matchup because Rashawn Gary is going to dominate Trevor Penning. He is. He is. That offensive line for the Saints is not great. But, yeah, that's – and my other upset is – I I can't believe Dells didn't mention it. Jets? It's the Jets plus seven and a half to cover, man. (laughs) The line lowered. Seven and a half. The line lowered. Seven and a half is on Mojo. It's on Mojo spread. Yeah, yeah, I know on FanDuel. it's like nine. Yeah. (laughs) Mojo's scared Um, to lose money. That's what it is. One other upset I do like this week, um, I picked against them, but Chicago plus two and a half against Tampa Bay. Um, I know the offense got ridiculed, got made fun of a lot on the internet. Um, part of that was JT O'Sullivan putting out his hour uh, QB school, which did a phenomenal yeah. job. Go check okay. it out if you haven't. But we, as humans, I think really, is, like we have the six months of the offseason hyping up all of these teams. And then we see week one. And we kind of throw everything out the window and just go by week one. I think if we were going into this game and we didn't see week one, most of us would be taking Chicago over Tampa Bay. So I do think Chicago's in the spot here to bounce back, and they need to bounce back. Um, Tampa so that's Bay also did, they did go on the road against Minnesota, who just put up a very respectable game, although they did lose against the Eagles. And they pulled off that upset. Where I'm not saying that Tampa Bay is going to be this surprise team. I'm just saying – from what the Bears showed me against a team that I'm not sold on in the Green Bay Packers, they looked atrocious. The play calling was atrocious. I don't love that defensive unit by any means. It's it's not looking great for the Bears. I can understand that you're trying to hold out hope for this Bears team as a whole. We have respect and we have appreciation for Justin Fields, but I don't feel great about this one. This is one of those games that I'm just staying as far away as possible. Listen, and the Bears, they don't got a quarterback that has quite the experience that Baker Mayfield does. Been in the playoffs, has won a playoff I'm going to be honest, Joel. I'm going to be honest, Joel. Pick a side. Pick a side. Pick a side. Bro, bro takes this pick Baker playoff thing. I took to, the puck to win the game. Pick, pick I picked a side, side. No, I picked no, no, no. But what, what is this with this Justin Fields now? Uh, he's not He's not the experienced Baker Mayfield. Uh, you pick is, your is, words very, yeah, is, is yeah, yeah. Fact? You is, pick is your fact? words very, very precisely. Does Justin Fields have a playoff? For that, I can respect you. <laughs> Has he been to the playoffs? Okay. That's okay. a fact. Does he have a He's playoff? Four games. I don't think so. You guys got any more upset picks for week two? He's no nah. Mark Sanchez. 
He's no Mark Sanchez. You know what? No. The, the more I watch Zach Wilson highlight clips on YouTube, I've been watching this college tape a lot. His ceiling is prime Mark Sanchez? His ceiling is prime. <laughs> I don't even want to reiterate the word, the name, because I'm going to get you. backlash. Listen, it's you know what the thing is, though? <laughs> I was reading the comments on Zach Wilson's college highlight video. Everybody's like, man, it just really ruined this kid. What man, happened this kid to him, man? looks different. You see, you, this this guy is so, supposed to be something. And I'm watching how the Jets teammates are giving Zach positive reinforcement. Everybody does better when they're reinforced in a positive manner. Garrett Wilson, you know, bringing his teammate up. Nathaniel Hackett on the sideline. I have this feeling no way in my gut, Daniel Hackett. this fire in my belly. Zach Wilson, this is his final chance. Guess who's guess whose final chance is this too? Nathaniel Hackett as an OC. Because <laughs> after that Denver debacle, this is his final chance too. We have an OC and a quarterback that they're hanging so on by cool. a thread. And for me, I'm going to take them to swim and not sink. So I think uh, Zach Wilson versus the Cowboys is going to shock everybody. He's going to come what's out. What's the stat play. line? What's the stat uh, line? 175 yards, My 16 God. for 22, one touchdown, touchdown no, picks. no interception. That's my stat. I love that. That's a that's a winning formula. If we get that. It's a winning formula. See, he just already, needs the, the confidence booster games. He just needs that. I already <laughs> said it. I'm here proclaiming I'm done hating on Zach Wilson. I will be here every single episode the week after Zach Wilson plays, hoping and praying that he puts together a great performance. I'm rooting for the kid. I'm rooting for the comeback story because it would mean not just a lot to the city of New York, but it would mean a lot to my guys over here. They need this. Jets fans across the world need this, and Zach Wilson needs this. This is the bounce back that I think that all Jets fans are hoping for. They don't want to see this kid fail more no. than he already has. But I'm rooting for him. If if nothing else, he's got a fan in me. I'm nice hoping we you. get. I hope. I'm hoping we get the tie in Zach Wilson. I will fall to my knees and cry <laughs> if we get the tie in Zach Wilson I versus Cowboys. Going to happen after you said fall to my knees. Whoa, I will Joe! Fall to my Whoa. knees and cry, Mister Dallas. Yo, can you stop? You know, man. Listen, we, like we just talk shit about Riv being the horny one, man. You're always on fucking go. Listen, listen. We just need Zach to hold it down to the playoffs, and Aaron Rodgers is coming back. So, what, yo, I mean, that shit you know gave I mean? me goosebumps, man. I was going to tweet this, but I, I decided to hold off. I will say this. Aaron Rodgers, very quickly, it's very reminiscent of Tom Brady going from the Patriots yep. to the Bucks, has become one of the most likable guys in the National Football League. Maybe it's that change of scenery. You just, just have a different approach, a different attitude towards everything. But, of course, the unfortunate events of him tearing his Achilles – but then getting you hype, even still, when you think all is done, all is gloom, he goes on Pat McAfee and says, of the great Kevin Garnett, anything is possible. I could potentially come back when you need me the most. All Zach Wilson has to do is keep this team afloat. The defense is going to hold its own. Zach just needs to be average if he's average this team can go nine and eight and maybe flirt with that seven seed it's not impossible and we might get a get a Dak Prescott and Tony Romo situation where Zach is playing lights out 
and Aaron Rodgers is coming back. But we're like, listen, hey, yo, Zach, he's out there shining. Here's the thing. We don't know I if also we can just pull this. I'm rooting for Zach. I'm also being very real here. I'm not optimistic with his skill set. I'm hopeful, but the evaluator in me also understands that this is a long shot. But I'm I'm rooting for you, Zach. You got you got at least three people here that are rooting for you. It's funny because I was not rooting for him. I was gonna make a joke, but yeah, now I'm rooting for him. I don't know his stance. The fry with Kenny Pickett. I'm all in. Yo, Kenny Pickett, bro. Does he stink? (laughs) You know, Drew. It's weird. I don't want to make this a Pickett discussion, but I think people are overreacting. The Niners are amazing. Niners Niners is unfair. Not ideal. He looked like shit, though. But you oh, got Cleveland this week. But, hey, you get out these first two weeks, last 15 games, whole step Is up. Kenny Pickett the Alexander Madison of the quarterback position? <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, I was listening to the Rich Eisen show, and he had Daniel Jeremiah on the show to talk about Zach Wilson. Daniel Jeremiah comes on, and he's like, you know, Rich, I just finished watching the film. And I- I'm optimistic about Zach. Uh, you know, it wasn't a high bar. To, to, to get to, but, you know, I thought this was Zach's cleanest, best game. You know, I've never seen him scan the field the way he showed some resilience. It. He bounced back after an interception, goes goes right back on the field, doesn't waver. Still trust his game, of course. They relied on Brees. They relied on Dalvin, trying to limit the mistakes, but he still went out there and made some big-time throws. We mentioned it on third down, hitting the tight end. That throw to, 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 to Garrett Wilson. No, that throw to no. Lazard, that was earlier in the game. But the throw to Garrett Wilson, that was huge as well. He had he had some moments. He had and some moments. While Daniel Jeremiah was talking, I just started dying in, of laughter because I'm like, man, I can't believe we've re- reached this point with Zach to like a 100-something-yard game. Is like, wow, this is now, what Sha- we've been waiting for. The, the won. biggest thing, we did win. The, the biggest area he improved, though, and shout out to Michael Nania, who we had on the show a, a year or two ago. Yeah. Um, Zach's completion percentage on throws less than 10 yards downfield. 2022, 47th out of 47th quarterbacks, 54.5%, the worst quarterback in the NFL. This preseason, 66.1%, 18th. And then week one, of course, you know, not a huge sample size, but 84.6%, 8th best in the NFL. If Zach Wilson's able to get the easy ones with this running game and defense, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Sample size. You got to love them. (laughs) Cross your fingers, damn it. Unless it's Rashad White and Alexander Madison. You don't love early week sample sizes. (laughs) Those are two guys that. You You know, know, it's funny, too, because when I tweeted at you and you're like any good running back could have a good game against this Minnesota defensive line. And then I go and I look back at Rashad White, and I, I'm at least I can respect you, and I know your feelings on Rashad White. Rashad White looked like shit against Minnesota. because so the Bucs just... got an offensive line. That's, that's not wrong. Yeah, just the Eagles off the line is just too dominant. But those are two guys. I have Rashad White in one of my leagues, so I'm hoping he at God least gets me 11 get points. T- hey, per, per, I, I know you know Sean Tucker. Sean Tucker's coming. Sean Tucker's coming. Yeah. Sean Tucker's another coming. another quick sidebar. I know we're past the Eagles segment. Um, but are we gonna have the discussion that their run blocking is like significantly better than their pass blocking? Or is it no. just that you, you look at both and you still hold them in the same regard? Because 
it's so clear to me their run blocking is so much more dominant where, yeah, you could say Jalen Hurts does hold on to the ball a little bit too long sometimes. Even still, to have 14 pressures, to be sacked four times, I look at maybe one, maybe two max, so half of the sacks that he did receive, but still being pressured as much as he is, that isn't great to see. Uh, for me, I don't really look at the pass blocking as a, you know, a tick below the run blocking. For me, I think it's a combination of two things. I think, one, it hurts his pocket presence. He drifts into pressure quite often. And number two, it's just usually when you get into these passing down situations and teams choose to blitz against you, you're relying on your running backs to block for you. And the Eagles don't have any running backs on the roster outside of Kenneth Gainwell that can block well on third down or on passing downs. For example, DeAndre Swift, that big play that Jalen Hurts had to Devontae Smith for the touchdown, there it was DeAndre Swift's assignment to stay in the backfield and to block that free rusher. But the linebacker was so slow to get to Jalen Hurts that DeAndre Swift just said, you know what, I'm just going to go into the flat and give Jalen Hurts an option to go with the ball. So the linebacker comes and takes a shot on Jalen Hurts, and Jalen Hurts completes the pass to Devontae Smith. But ultimately, Hurts got hit because Swift bailed and didn't wait for the rusher to come in to block him. So for me, it feels like Jalen Hurts is taking a lot of hits and getting pressured a ton because the running backs just aren't good blockers on passing down situations. And I think that some of that also is just Jalen Hurts drifting into pressure. All right, that's really it. Just a yeah. quick discussion. That's just, that's just my take on it. Drew said earlier that today is going to be the first time that we've talked about the NBA in a while, and that is true. This topic we have coming up is about the NBA and their rules on star players sitting out and resting. So these are really the five main differences this year. So number one, no more than one star player is unavailable for the same game. Number two, teams must ensure that star players are available for national TV and in-season tournament games. Number three, teams must maintain a balance between the number of one-game absences for a star player in home and road games, with the preference for those absences to happen in home games. Number four, teams must refrain from any long-term shutdown. Number five, teams must ensure that healthy players resting for a game are present and visible to fans. How much do you think these new rules are going to help load management? It should it should help it a bunch. In, in reality, I, I look at it like this as well. The way that we or the general public have viewed Adam Silver is that he is a player's commissioner. This is the first time where I'm really looking at this, uh, just something that he's put in place and think this is so against everything that he's done. This is for the fans. This is for all the, the league owners that do want to see their money being put to good use in terms of having the star players playing with what's hoping 65 games in a season so that they do accrue enough time that they are there. Uh, they're, that they're able to make these all NBA teams, that they're able to be up for these NBA awards. So that's the first thing that I want to say. This is really one of the first times that I feel like Adam Silver is really going against what he is usually done, and that's be pro player. Uh, but I think that this should be great for the game. We get to see guys like Kawhi and Paul George. They're immediately the first ones that come to mind when it comes to to, to benching your star players how many times have we seen both of these guys sit out? One that we probably don't 
or didn't really immediately think about was Damian Lillard towards that stretch down the season, or also, of course, Luka Doncic and, and what went over there with Dallas Mavericks. Deal. There you go. That's another one as well. But Damian Lillard being shut down for basically the, the last quarter of the season, he had his injury, but really we understood what was going on. Portland was trying to put themselves in a prime position to get a high draft pick, which they did. They ended up getting a top three pick. You had the Dallas Mavericks, Luka Doncic, not play a good portion of it as well, so that they would put themselves in position to keep their first-round draft pick, not give it away to the New York Knicks, which would have been theirs in the Christos Porzingis trade. Instead, Dallas Mavericks creeps into the top 10. They're able to keep their selection as well. Uh, John just mentioned it as well with Bradley Beal. This is great for the game because fans get to watch the stars of the game play more than not. And, of course, these guys are still giving, well, of course, if they're majority healthy, a good portion of these guys are still playing upwards of 40 to 50 games. Now the hope is that they start to creep into that 55 to 60 territory. And, again, these guys do want to get paid. They do want to, to be on these All-NBA teams because that is how they're going to be able to be eligible for these Supermax contracts. There's going to be – if. If they didn't put this rule in place, there were going to be players that were not on the the Jimmy Butler, the Anthony Davis, the Kawhi Leonard tier of players that are getting these max contracts because they would be the players that would accrue the 65 games. I'm talking where Jaron Jackson was great. There's room now for a Jaron Jackson, a Brandon Ingram. Who, well, Brandon Ingram's been kind of hurt, but you understand what my point is, is here. There's going to be players that are not in that top tier being eligible for all NBA because they make the, the criteria for 65 games. And these other stars like a Kawhi, like a Jimmy, uh, Anthony Davis, who's been more healthy than what people give him credit for. They don't accrue these 65 games and they won't be eligible for all NBA. So I think this is going to be great for the game. What the NBA did this off season should be, should be great for fans, especially right. Having to play 65 games. If you want that big bag, um, you know, forcing, you know, loosely forcing players to to play in as most games possible. But I don't know if it's going to have a generally big impact on the day-to-day NBA, just because what's stopping Kawhi, Chris Paul, LeBron, whoever, normally you say out, rest, DMP coaching decision. What's the difference between that and Kawhi waking up and saying, you know what, my knee doesn't feel right today, I'm not going to play. Because if you're injured, right, if you still have an injury designation, you're able to sit out. The NBA is not going to force players to play through injury. They want to avoid the players sitting out due to rest. But my question is, what's what's the difference or how are we going to know when a player is actually banged up compared to we're just saying he has a knee sprain. We're saying he has an ankle sprain. These minor injuries that are going to keep you out for a couple games when you're just trying to get some rest. I do think maybe the bigger story here that might be getting overlooked is the end of season where you don't have to have Damian Lillard missing the last 15 games of the year where he's perfectly healthy. We just know what the Blazers are trying to do. And for their franchise, it might be in the best interest to shut down Dame, get the higher draft pick, especially in Dame's situation where we're expecting him to get traded. Um, but it's still not the, the best product for the fans. If you want to watch the game, you're, you're putting on a Blazers game for Damian Lillard. Um so I just really have a hard time believing that NBA teams aren't going to be able to get around this rule and just give them a small ankle sprain and say that's why he's missing this game. Respect I Shane agree. Sharp. Respect Shane Sharp. Put it on he the game great. and watch Jaden. But hey, you do have to take with a grain of salt. He's being guys like 
Scooby-Doo in like game 82 of the season. You know what I mean? Um, Scooby-Doo. That's the first thing that came to mind, bro. I, I couldn't even a player. Fucking John. <laughs> Here's my issue with this. I don't think low management is the real. So, there's no real solution to low management other than shortening the NBA season. And when I look at these new mandates, to me, I'm like, like Dell said, it really doesn't matter if Dame or Kawhi has calf soreness that night because then you can have both your stars sit out. And so this, while it's a great idea, can almost be a total loophole, like a, a deck of cards that easily can be just falling apart. The other thing, too, is when looking at these guys in the regular season, seeing out games, I think we often get frustrated. We don't get to see them. But the real issue here, it's the symptom of them sitting out of games. The problem is they're playing way too many. And I feel like the NBA for a long time now has thought if we play more games, we'll make more money. But the more games you play, the less they matter. And so the in-season tournament's a way for them to add an extra to try to make it mean more. But I think in the end, up until the NBA shortens its season to 65 games, not many of these mandates are going to matter. The new All-NBA eligibility requirements, they don't affect the guys that are 35 years old, 32, because they've already met that criteria, that threshold years before. A guy like Anthony Edwards, who's on the up, is missing no games regardless as he's making his way to All-NBA eligibility. So I feel like the NBA is going to have this problem for years. It's just going to turn fans off, and they're never going to find a solution up until they shorten the season. So I find it kind of like meaningless. I don't know why this is really such a big talking point to make. It's never going to be solved. To me, I do think that it's easy to find a loophole within these rules because unless the NBA has somebody designated for every single organization to make sure that these team doctors aren't lying about these injuries, it really feels like pointless to have these many restrictions on rest. Because, for example, the NBA wants these star players to play preferably at home and not both preferably rest at home and play on the road. Well, what if Kawhi Leonard and Paul George at state at um, crypto arena are in a really great game and they have to play 40 minutes that night, but they have a back to back and the next night it's a road game and science and studies have shown us that after you play 40 minutes, it is healthier for, for those players to rest but it's on the road. Are you going to find them because they decided to rest on the road after playing 40 minutes the previous night? So there's a lot of gray area when it comes to this. And I just think that right now, how the NBA and Adam Silver has handled the, the restrictions on these awards that players can win, it's making for a product that at the end of the season the players that are deserving of the awards won't win them. I We did this case study when we made our All-NBA teams ballot. If we made the All-NBA teams ballot with only players that played a minimum of 65 games, the All-NBA ballot would have looked completely different. So now we're walking into this territory where on a year-to-year basis, the players that are winning the most, the most onerous awards that we have in basketball – aren't even the best players. They're just the players that are playing the most, but they're not the best. So as we move forward with this, that's going to be something that people are like, listen, why the hell is LeBron James not getting MVP consideration because he only played 60 games and not 65? 
for the yeah. rookie of the year award, there is no minimum game restriction for that. That's the only award out of all of them that there's no minimum game restriction. Yeah, there's it doesn't feel like there's really going to be a solution. And I wish that what John said could come true, that the NBA would shorten the season. But I think we all know that owners are never going to agree to losing money. Um, and if the owners lose money, the players are going to lose money. So I think that's why you have such a big disconnect, especially when you compare the NBA to the NFL, where like every week is so important. Every game is so important. In the NFL there's only 17 compared to the NBA, where it's like Patrick Mahomes is never going to sit out a game. But you can lose Kawhi for 15, 20, 30 games. And everyone's like, OK, what's the big deal? Um, and I will also say that even if like the NBA, like to your point, Joel, when you said, are they going to have like an ind independent person there seen if the doctors align? What's the difference if Kawhi, I'm just using him because, of course, he's, you know, the most injury prone player. But what if Kawhi's like, my knee doesn't feel right. And the doctor's like, you look fine. You should be able to play. And the player is the one saying, I shouldn't play. Like, my knee does not feel good. How do you get past that situation? So I applaud the NBA for trying to make it. Like, they're, they're basically telling their fans, we don't want this either. We're trying our best. But in reality, you cannot force anybody to go onto the court and play. So it, it's a good try by the NBA, but in reality, I don't know if it's going to have a big impact. And you want to know what I feel? The consensus is you shorten the season, you're losing money. While that's true in the short term, in the long term, I think you start to get way more fan interest in the regular season. And because of the rarity of the games, the meaning in them, all of a sudden you're driving up ticket prices and there's way more engagement within. So I feel like if anything, while you're going to lose it in the short term, for the NBA's viability of the regular season, 10, 15, 20 years, the best thing would be try to implement that NFL approach. I feel like if the NFL turn injuries off, which 30 games is long, it would still be less inter interesting. At 17, like you said, Dells, it changes the entire game. So that's why I'm like, why not try it, man? That's What's your ideal games? For me, I, I think like it's 60. 60. I would say 60. You take away, you eliminate back-to-backs, and it's probably like two games a week. Um, anywhere from 50 to 60 for me, 22, 22 games you take away. That's a lot of history that will be untouchable forever though. John, that's the one thing that I do want to push back with that. I understand where you're coming from. I think you're coming from a point of defending and protecting the players and their safety, understanding that 82 games, it's a long, it's a grueling season. But when it comes to the grand scheme of things, I think that that becomes difficult because of the history of this game, you look at Michael Jordan's time. Michael Jordan has a laundry list of seasons where he played 82 games in a row. It, it's very rare nowadays that you see one of the cream of the crop players play all 82. Anthony I think Edwards. The, did it Anthony Edwards play all 82? It's close. Basically, he missed one game. I was going to say the last one that comes to mind of the elite of elite playing 82 was 2018 LeBron James, where he did play in all 82 games. That's the last one that comes to my mind. But, of course, John, to finish up my point, too much history would be impossible to achieve and would be so drastically altered for years to come if that were the case. You make a point with all-time rankings, and specifically like all-time points, all-time rebounds, but with all the unique error advantages that present better longevity, more efficient scoring, and more offense – I think, honestly, wouldn't be a substantial difference. It would just be a notable one. Because, um, like, guys, LeBron, he's the ultimate example, 38. KD, Steph, 35. Kawhi's still 32 years old. All of these guys are playing longer than ever. And if scoring is coming easier and easier, I think 
you could slowly bridge the gap even if you're losing those 20 games. But maybe I'm crazy here. Listen, I think you guys all make valid points. One of the more durable players in the league is Giannis. And recently, he's talked about potentially hinting at leaving the Bucs if the Bucs aren't in a position to compete. He says, but the moment I feel like people are are not committed as I am to get that golden thing in the back, I am a Milwaukee Buck. But most importantly, I am a winner. I want to win. I have to do whatever it takes for me to win. And if there is a better situation for me to win the Larry O'Brien championship trophy, like the New York Knicks, I have to take that better situation. Yeah, it's on there. I'll Look, say well, this. Go ahead, John. Go ahead, John. I think Giannis knows this Bucks team could quickly fall apart here. The Bucks through the years have put a beautiful roster around him. I mean, Brooke Lopez has been an elite defensive big for years now, and he's been the stretch factor. And Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday were very good fits. The issue has kind of just been through the years, the Bucks have not added young talent. And in the rare cases where they've hit on draft picks, Malcolm Brogdon, Dante DiVincenzo, injuries and trades have all led to those players going elsewhere. So if I'm honest right now, I turn 30 in a year, I'm looking at the long-term viability of the squad with a brand-new head coach who's trying to build off of Mike, Mike, uh, Mike Boonholzer's system. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, in a year or two, things might look a whole lot different in Eastern Conference where teams are getting younger and younger and more talented and complete. So if anything, I think while it seems crazy and unique to see a star player doing this, the writing's on the wall here. Giannis has done so much for the city of Milwaukee, similar to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar winning their first championship in 50 years. And there's kind of a written story here at the Bucks. But if you take the next step forward on a team that's think about him and Luca, let's say, for example, it could completely change the course of his legacy. But I think that could be what helps Giannis get into if he cares about that top 10, top 15 mix, if he's playing with some real top 15, top 20 player talent. Because his best wow. player, his best teammate, it's been Chris Middleton. And Middleton, a great player, a perfect fit, is capped off as the 30th best player in the NBA probably. So I'm not surprised here. And I think it it makes all of the, the years of building around Giannis and the Bucks that much more pressure-filled now because this is a make-or-break a year. You won 58 games last year. Giannis gets hurt. You're losing five games to an eighth seed. And Giannis, for as bad as he played for his expectation, they make him better when he's on the court. So this right here, 2024, is the ultimate year for the Bucs to get right back onto that championship pedestal. And I'm I'm pretty excited for them and their fans because it, it should be a huge season. John, I they got young talent, bro. They, they signed Ty Ty Washington. You were hyping that they, up. They did. Uh, and I love their crazy. You said he could be the X factor in championship run. I did. He was hurt the last two years, which is why they mm. got him for free. Mm. I love his skill set with Giannis. He's only really 21. Pick and roll distributor. And I did like the Bucks all season. Let's be clear now. Malik Beasley in the minimum. They made good moves on the edges. On the margins, they won the day. But it's the big picture here. Brooke Lopez, 35 years old, was wonderful. I don't know if he can still be a top 50 player at his age, two years off back surgery. And the same goes to Chris Middleton's knees. Because that's the big kind of cards here that could pile on top of Giannis's back again and then he's not going to be able to carry them I really don't mind Giannis saying this at all I mean listen a if an organization has built around you and that roster is aging and in future years you know that it might not be that competitive 
I don't mind a player wanting to leave that city. I don't think you have to Dirk and whiskey it and just stay there as long as they're bad. I, I understand Giannis for wanting to leave. Even if he does leave, he'll be a Milwaukee Buck legend. That will never go away. All I got to say is that the Knicks are in a prime position to get any star that becomes available. And, and, and that's why I am not a fan of the Knicks being short-sighted and going out and trading for a star like a Zach Levine because I'm looking at the bigger picture. I'm looking at Joel Embiid could become available soon. Giannis, if, if this year the Bucks are not good, he could become available. I'm looking at the Knicks and I'm saying, no, they're going to be a major player for a big time star. We have the trade assets. We have young pieces. We have draft picks. I'm looking at the Knicks as a prime destination for, I think in the next two years, we're going to land that big time star. But listen, John, you pointing out that Luca Giannis combination. I mean, it would be a better combination than even LeBron and Dwayne Wade. That's how great that combination would be. So for me, I'm looking forward, if that ever happens to happening, happening. Because Giannis and Luka, oh, man, that's that's championships on championships, baby. I remember once being told that Giannis Antetokounmpo didn't have championship DNA. Uh, but I'll I'm say this it. very clearly. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo does not owe the Milwaukee Bucks anything. He already has delivered the highest honors to the Milwaukee Bucks. We're talking about a two-time MVP. We're talking about Defensive Player of the Year. We're talking about seven-time All-NBA. We're talking about an NBA Finals champion. We're talking about an NBA Finals MVP. He's done it all. At the age of 28, he's already one of the most accomplished players in NBA history. He doesn't owe anything to Milwaukee. He's already become the highest-paid player in NBA history at one point in time in his career. He's become one of the faces of the NBA, we've seen him lead the Eastern Conference in votes for the All-Star Game multiple times now. So he's already accomplished a, a, more than a lot of NBA players in, in history have been able to accomplish. He's able to do whatever he wants. He should be free to do whatever he, whatever he wants. So, again, one of the blessings with the new NBA is that player movement is what makes the NBA so exciting and so great. Giannis has already done everything that he can with Milwaukee. If I'm Milwaukee fans, I would be crushed. I'd be heartbroken. We're losing arguably our best, if not number two, best player in our franchise's history. I respect Lowell Cinder as well, of course, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. But Giannis, I I mean, you're talking about a small market as it gets in Milwaukee. For him to make them as relevant as they are, you look at the the standpoint of the Milwaukee Bucks, like John said, they're they're getting to a point where you can understand Giannis looking at the bigger picture, trying to say, hey, my time here and maybe coming to an end. There may be a situation for me that would put me in a more prime position to compete for an NBA championship where I don't have to work as hard, maybe. And I could still be the best player on a championship team. Again, he's already cemented his legacy with the small market team, with the Milwaukee Bucks. Anything he does after this is gravy and it's just adding to the to the amazing legacy of Giannis Antetokounmpo but whatever he decides I'm all here for it I always think it's a good thing when ownership in the front office has pressure on them to win it doesn't happen as much in the NBA as it does like the MLB for example where you could be the Oakland A's you could be the worst teams in baseball you're just going to print money because you're part of the league and no matter what happens you're always going to be profitable the MLB NBA NFL whoever 
they're not going to allow you to fail and go bankrupt. Um, so even though it doesn't happen as much as in other sports, um, specifically the MLB I'm thinking about, I do think – I have no problem with what Giannis says because this puts, like John said, pressure on the Bucks to maybe speed up this process. Maybe at the deadline, if things aren't going as pretty, maybe say they're sitting around 500, maybe Middleton gets banged up or Brooke, wherever it might be, I think there would probably be more pressure on them to make a move at the deadline, to put themselves in a better position to win if Giannis had never made this statement, Giannis has come out a few times now and kind of hinted at it, but this felt like the most straightforward he was saying that, listen, once this shit breaks up, I'm out of here too. And for the most part, I have no problem with that. The only time I really have a problem with a player um, requesting or demanding or having these comments is like, you sign like a five-year max contract, and then the next year the team's still the same. You're like, nah, I don't want this. I want out. Because other than that, I feel like you should have the same freedom that I do. Like, if I want to quit my job, I could just quit my job and go and go somewhere else. Athletes, NBA players don't have the same luxury because you do sign these multi-year contracts. You can't just, you know, obviously up and quit and you become a free agent. Um, you know, you're contractually obligated to play for that team unless you get moved. So I, I think it's great for Giannis. And if he wants to go to the Western Conference, see you later. If not, come to Boston. <laughs> I want to finish off this show by having all of us draft the perfect team USA roster. It's going to be four. No, it's going to be three picks each, 12 players total, five starters, five bench players, two reserves. And yeah, we're going to see if we can build the perfect team USA roster that is going to take home the gold next time we go there in paris so drafting the very best team usa roster drew you got the number one pick who are you taking i appreciate that um let me ask you guys a question before we do anything is joel Embiid eligible to play for team usa i've seen these graphics the these conversations on twitter saying that Embiid is potentially a candidate to play for team usa is he on is he on the table for us i am going to say no, because okay. I don't think he was born in the USA, yep. but there might be a gray area there. But ultimately, I did not have Joel Embiid in my in my All right. ballot. That's fine. That's fine. The number one overall pick is going to be LeBron James. He's already come out and said that he is very interested. He will be he will be with Team USA. Get the leader in the clubhouse. We're talking about the greatest basketball player in the history of this game, suiting up at the age of 40 for his country, the United States of America, number one in your hearts, number one on the courts, LeBron James. And I'm sorry, Joel, is this all time or current? Just current, current bro. Current, current. current. For the, for the next cycle. Yeah. Yeah, we're yeah. going to go this way. So, John, you're up next. With the second overall pick, Team John selects Steph Curry. I don't know Got if there's it. a better way to build my team than with the highest ceiling raiser of them all. We're all building uh, – the team, a team on the same side, by the way. So it's just team yeah, yeah, yeah. One side. team, one team, yeah, one yeah. team. Um, you guys, you got some old heads. LeBron's like forty-five. Curry's like thirty-eight. We need some young blood in here, man. Jason Tatum. I don't gotta say nothing God. else. We need some. We need Stop some handsomeness in here. We Stop need some handsomeness. Blazing. We need some aura. We need some shot making. Some defense. Jason Tatum, man, has got it all. If Riv was here, he would shoot you dead for the fact of you saying that Steph Curry doesn't have aura. <laughs> with the fourth overall pick i'm gonna go with a player that's gonna provide team usa rebounding gonna provide them defense on interior and the perimeter 
my I'm dog. I'm going with Mr. Anthony Davis. Yes, sir. Mr. Yes, Anthony sir. Davis with the fourth pick. And we could do this snake draft way. So I got the fifth pick now. With the fifth overall pick, I'm going with the one and only Mr. Kevin Durant at the four. So we got our we got our five set, right? We got we do. I don't know. I guess Steph oh, Curry, and, Jason yeah. Tatum, LeBron James, and Kevin Durant and Anthony Davis. We need our okay, two so guards still, unless you think Tatum's gonna play the two. I have Tatum. I got, play I got a two guard. That's yeah. fine. If not, we could we could go get Devin Booker. Go get Devin sure. Booker if he wants to play the two. If not, he could be he could be a six man. John, yeah, John get on un- get unreasonable right now. Because there's an unreasonable player that could get selected right now. He's thinking of Austin Reeves. Whoa, no, I'm saying someone that might not be willing to play. Chris Paul. Oh, I wasn't picking up what you're putting down. And we're not taking 2008 Chris Paul. We're taking 2023 Chris Paul, right? Yeah. No, no, that's not who, but I'm not talking about Chris Paul. I want him far away from Team USA. Talking about Christian Wood? I'm talking about Kawhi Leonard. With the seventh overall pick, no is the sixth overall pick. We will take Kawhi Leonard. I thought about a different nice. small forward here, but Kawhi, I mean, he's arguably coming off the best year of his career, too, from a how damn good he was in the regular season element. Torn ACL came off 50, 40, 90, 27 a game. I'll take that, please. I love that selection, John. Now, we need some excitement. We need some box office. Zion is definitely on my mind. I'm wearing the jersey. It would only be right that I draft him. However, ah, there's some good names still left on this board. Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, Damian Lillard, Anthony Edwards, of course. But you know what? I think I am going to go box office. I'm going to select Zion Williamson to play our forward off the bench. And I get the next pick correct. So I can do this guy justice regardless. I'm going to select Jimmy Butler to also represent his country, the United States of America. Mr. John, you're up, John. Okay. First time. I'm between a couple of different guards here that are all American. They have to be John. That's kind of the rule. (laughs) (laughs) I saw the name name Shea Gildas Alexander, which is why I preference. He's Canadian. He's Canadian. I know. I am aware he was not born here. I'm dead. Holy shit. I had to turn my mic off because I laughed so loud. Select. (laughs) Spider? Am I going to have to draft your team, John? John Moran. Okay, I like that. Okay, some swagger on and we're going to get ourselves an elite dual threat as a playmaker and score. I love that. I love that a lot, uh, John. Re- remind me, who, who are our bigs? We just got AD right now. Right now, the AD team is Steph Curry, Tatum, LeBron, KD, AD, John Morant, Jimmy, Devin Booker, Kawhi, and Zion. All right. We need a, we need a backup big. Uh, we got a lot of guys that need the ball in their hand, a lot of guys that can score. But let's go get Bam. Let's get someone who defense first, rebounding, playmaking, doesn't need the ball, team player. Go get Bam. Already a gold medalist as well. We don't talk about that. Bam out of bio, gold medalist. This team is quite obvious. With the final pick, we need vibes. We need laughter. We, we, also, need need, we also we need, need a player that, if he's called the ball, can step up and drop 40 on any Lamello. country he plays. That's Austin Mr. Reed. Anthony Edwards. That's Mr. Respect. Anthony Ant-Man Edwards. That's the final pick. So our final Team USA pick, we try to build the perfect Team USA team steph curry jason tatum lebron james kd anthony davis john morant jimmy butler 
Devin Booker, Kawhi Leonard, Zion, Bam Adebayo, and Anthony Edwards. People are going to say we disrespected Spider. They're most definitely going to say we disrespected Damian Lillard. He probably should have been selected, but I understand you went with vibes. You went with your guy, Anthony Edwards. I can't knock you too much for it, but Dame probably should be on this team. You know, we want a different look. We got Steph. I think you want an old unique element. I right, fair enough. And it's I true. Mean, and Ja, even with Ja, like he offers a playmaking as a point guard that I don't think Dame offers at that. He's gonna be throwing alley oops off the backboard. Ja's gonna throw it off the backboard to Zion. Zion's gonna throw it off the backboard to LeBron. LeBron's just gonna yam it home. But you know, if Team USA needed a real floor general, you know they got James Harden Reese? waiting on the line. Oh. James Harden. Yo, Joel, nice man. I'm here, man. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Pick a Side Podcast, episode 310. You guys can follow us on Twitter at Pick a Side Pod, on Instagram and TikTok at Pick a Side Podcast. Make sure to download the brand new Mojo Fantasy app available in 19 states and in DC. Use code PAS for a 100% deposit match up to $100. Thank you guys for watching, and we'll see you next time.